0: i sure. sure.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute, the formerly daily podcast where we're talking about the 1990 live-action Turtles movie one minute at a time, except today we're not talking about the movie one minute at a time, we're talking about the movie one crew member at a time. That's right, it is a very special episode. We have with us today some really important Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle guests, Uh, but first, our regular co-host, ladies and gentlemen, Adam Sheehan. Hello. Rachel Gatlin. Hi. And Chris O'Connor. Yo, yo. And I'm Scott Tofty. And you guys might know this guy. This is Bobby Herbeck. Bobby Herbeck was the guy who wrote the treatment, the original movie of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This is the guy who put this movie in the world. So Bobby,
0: welcome. Thank you, my brother and sister. Thank you much. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Uh,
2: we are we're having
0: a great time since last Monday. We are Kim and I, and I'm certainly others, are blown away by the 30 years, and this thing is still part of the social fabric. It's amazing. It's it's we're blessed, as I've said to, in other interviews, and it brings tears sometimes. It was really went. this was something that the critics said was. Going to be a one-trick pony. No one's going to go see it. It was Howard the Duck all over again.
3: Oof. And
0: uh, Leonard Maltin said it was the worst picture he'd ever seen. And I waited all these years to see Leonard Maltin. Still that have guy. Him, But what? I'm, the day's going to come if I have to drive up to his house and just honk the horn and go hold up a Ninja Turtle poster and go Nainer Nainer Nainer. I think that would be wholly <laughs> appropriate. I, and move on. I, I think it's a great <laughs> idea.
1: But as if as if that's not good enough, you're not here alone. You brought someone else with you. Ladies and gentlemen, Without Kim a, Dawson, for nothing. the producer of the Ninja <laughs> Turtles films. Thank hi, man.
4: Kim. Hi, hi, everybody. Nice to meet you all.
1: We're super happy to Virtually, have you here.
4: I suppose. Thank you. It's really, it's really my pleasure.
1: Um, I, I have to first off say to our listeners, we are recording this almost a week to the day after the 30th anniversary of the release. Of Ninja Turtles '90s, so we just got done. Kevin Eastman, who we've had on the show, did a like an awesome Facebook watch along with it. Uh, Partners in Crime, one of our good buddies from the show, has been cool. getting ready to do all kinds of cool 30th anniversary stuff. There's been screenings all over. Um, Kim, Bobby, what what have you guys done so far to mark the occasion?
0: Uh, a lot of interviews. Uh, we're ramping up to do a lot. This, as you all know, we're under this this umbrella right now. Uh, we we're, were going to go to WonderCon, that got canceled. Uh, some autograph shows, but everything's on hold. But in the meantime, we're reaching out to so many fans and discovering so many fans, and we have some things in the works—a uh, book and a documentary. Amazing, uh, yeah. About our side of the movie.
1: Unfortunately, the timing kind of sucks because we've all been put under quarantine here. Uh, I know I was actually working with uh, s- some other people who were on the periphery of the film to try to get a screening in Brooklyn together, and that kind of fell through because of, yeah. you know,
5: pandemic. Yeah, um, and this 100-year event has really gotten in the way of our 30-year event. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah,
4: well. Yeah, really. Stay tuned. Rude. One of the things we, we have been doing a lot of is social media. Bobby and I were both... Um, what you might call virgins in this area. Um,
5: <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say that.
4: <laughs> but but uh, we took a deep dive in Instagram and Facebook and other things, and, and um, that's opened our eyes. And one of the guys at Warner Brothers uh, told us that there were over 50,000 people who responded to the Facebook page that they posted, and everybody was asking, when can it be back in the theaters? We want to see it on the big screen again. Yeah. Hmm. And that we, that's been a consistent note from a lot of people. So th- this goes, you know, Warner Brothers is probably going to do something. Who knows? But um, when they get that kind of response, it's usually followed up by by an action in in some form or fashion. When you say, Bobby? Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, there's things there's things on the horizon. I mean, it, it's just begun for us. And I was telling someone the day it's not we we're, we're not. We're not dead in the water, so to speak. Thank God for the social network, which this was not there when this movie was done in 1990.
4: (laughs) That's the whole landscape. The guy in Los Angeles, there's a guy in Los Angeles actually by the name of Cody Chavez, who for the last few years has put on a screening of the film and he gets live bands to come. He got John Dupree to come and be part of it. So at one point, I think Cody is the
1: guy that hooked us up with John Dupree. I think he's the one that gave us oh, his is that uh, right? email. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? I think so.
3: He's
4: cool. He he seems like a cool guy. I've only talked to him on the phone and and over in, in emails and stuff, but he's he's totally into it. He sent me some um, some um, bandanas, some uh, Foot Clan bandanas uh, the other day. So I'm, we're gonna we're gonna sign some of those and put them up on the on our website. Um, we've got we got a new website. Who knew? Uh, TMNT movie 1990, I think it is. Um, And so, you know, that's got a lot of traction as well. So overall, I I think it's been it's been real exciting for us because Bobby and I have been kind of sitting um, in the background. We've done a lot of business um, behind the scenes, but we haven't been vocal about our role uh, because for the most part, I think we wanted Kevin and Peter to take credit for what they did. But now, after 30 years, um, Bobby
1: and I both want to
4: come out from underneath the shell.
1: <laughs> well, it's a nice time to celebrate. And, you know, everyone that was involved in the movie, from all the people we've talked to, and it's it's been a, a pretty decent number at this point, they are incredibly happy to have been a part of it.
5: Yeah.
3: Uh,
1: no one has yeah. talked to us and been like, well, that sucked. you know. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> from, and
5: from the fans' perspective, I think anybody that was involved in making those movies, which you guys definitely were, uh, deserves to take a lap or two.
0: Or three, or thirty. Well, we're 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 saving the dark side for the book in the in the uh, awesome.
4: Yeah. <laughs> oh, the tell all. I'm only talking, kidding. I'm only to, kidding. You didn't, of <laughs> of, you didn't talk to a lot of cast members because those the guys who were in the costumes like they suffered badly. So you know,
1: uh, we got we got uh, Michel and not too long ago who was in the first two. And he had some really good stories about right. what it was like in the rubber suit. We haven't. We've been trying to get a couple of the other cast members on. We got Robbie Rist on, but he had it easy. He only did like two days of work.
2: Yeah, he came in when it was already all finished and just yeah. said some words. <laughs> Slapped his voice on it. Um, but <laughs> Easiest yeah. job in the world, right? I have
1: to. I have to commend you guys because I was literally just sitting in quarantine the other day. I'm fine. We're all fine. Uh, but sitting in in this place that I am stuck right now, flipping through Instagram, and I saw that some other turtles fan that I follow had followed you guys, and I didn't even know you had a social media. And within ten minutes, I had messaged you, and Bobby replied back like instantly, like right on top of it. It was the quickest response I've ever gotten back to an interview request. So thank you for that. That was very. Well, I got
0: nothing to do. <laughs> well, thank you, my friend. No, Thanks. listen. I get up, we, someone asked us the other day, you know, well, we're, I mean, part of our, we have a team we put together and we're, we're still polishing and buffing what the hell we're doing for a business plan here. And <laughs> I get up in the morning and, and realize that we do have a responsibility if it's cool to answer as many people as we can. And Kim's doing the same thing, but it's all new to us. I mean, Facebook is like this virus. I've never seen anything morph like that. I never knew there was a friend of a friend of another friend and 51 other one of your friends. And it's like, holy Jesus. And then Instagram, the whole, like I said earlier, this does not happen in 1990. No, I mean, it's just how much the world's changed, but it's cool. Cause we're all here. We, here we are on the phone with, with you guys in the United States and, and your, your fans. And it's cool. And everybody loves the first movie.
1: It's, it's great. Let's, great. let's get into the first movie. Um, one of the first questions we usually ask any of our, our guests that are, come on the show is, when did you first dip your toes into the Ninja Turtles water? Like, what was your, what's your first memory of this thing called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Um, let's let's start with I guess who who got into it first, Bobby or Kim? Who brought it to Kim? Kim? Kim, Kim, let's let's start Hi, I, with you. Man. I was I was in our our office
4: in um, in uh, West. Uh, Los Angeles, uh, up, up near, um, Bel Air. And, um, I was with Ruth Ann Proper, who was, uh, the wife of Gary Proper. Uh, Gary was managing the comedian Gallagher and was on the road with Gallagher. I was mm-hmm. in the office with Ruth Ann. We were planning a new, uh, Showtime special for, uh, a new Gallagher show that we were going to do actually in, in, um, York, Pennsylvania, I think it's called, We Need a Hero if I remember correctly. Uh, and we were, we were, um, sitting there planning the show and our, uh, one of our interns, Gabe Sachs picked up the phone. Gabe Sachs went on you, you probably know him. He created a show called Freaks and Geeks, among other things. Oh, that little thing. And, um, <laughs> yeah, that little thing. Uh, and, um, uh, and Gabe said, well, Gary's on the phone. He's rambling on about the teenage mutant Ninja Turtles, this comic he's got. And he's just, they were at the Fox theater that, that day up in Detroit. And, um, he had wandered down the street to a comic book store and wherever he went, he, Gary looked for comics and he found the turtles, the first issue. Um, and he was so crazed about it that he called up and said, you guys, you, and he was going on and on and on. And, um, so the next day, he overnighted the comic to us, and um, we, we were all just sitting there wrapped as we read this comic. And then, you know, at the end, there's Mirage Studios. So I call Mirage Studios and and um, talk to Kevin. Uh, and and what? Maybe, what was year was this? Year, Do you remember actually, what year, year that was? was this. this would have been this, uh, the the um, eighty-eight summer. In, August of '87. No, August of '87. Because we, we uh, it took us about a year to get the rights together and get the and get the deal uh, with um, with uh, Golden Harvest put together. So, and this is this yeah. is around the same it time was,
1: that they're they're shopping around the toy deal and trying to get the the TV show out. If it's '87, so all that stuff is kind of happening at the exact same time, right?
4: right? Correct. They had just signed the deal with Mark Friedman at Surge Licensing. It wow. was, it was probably, uh, Mark said it was the, like the week before, I think it was two or three weeks before that they had signed that deal in, in Northampton. And Mark is, is have you spoken to Mark?
1: We haven't had a chance to speak to Mark yet. No.
4: Well, Mark used to work at MCA universal uh, in the licensing department there. And when he saw the comic, he had the same reaction that we did. Uh, this is going to be, this is going to be crazy. And, I think he knew at that time that that, um, that Playmates was looking for a new property. And uh, as a result he went up there, he signed he signed Mirage up and then at that time the only toy they had was a little uh, tin type, the old lead soldier that yeah, they, think had the they were actually pewter things. little lead, big green. Yeah. And um um Don't lick so them. you know Peter Peter put me on to Mark and I started my conversation with Mark about licensing the rights for the live action picture. So that was, that was as a direct result of Gary finding this comic and then, and then, you know, urging, uh, myself and gabe and uh and gabe 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 has the same reaction that some people get it's like you're crazy that'll never work but he came around pretty quickly
1: so when you hear of this when someone drops this comic book in your lap which is four walking talking karate fighting turtles your first thought is oh this should be a live action movie what does that look like in your brain before (laughs) any conversations before like how did you visualize that
4: but well, you know, the 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 truth is that Gary Gary uh, didn't graduate high school. Um, he was he was um, he was a, a surf rat uh, from Cocoa Beach, but he was the most visual guy I'd ever known, and he he could paint pictures in a way. Over the phone, he talked started talking about the Turtles and how how uh, radical they were. His Gary had a nickname. Mm. His nickname was um, was uh, uh, Mad Dog. And, uh, he was, that's, th- that's just the way he was. So he saw this was with the, w- the way Peter and Kevin imagined them being like mad dog, like radical, uh, but also with a twisted sense of humor. Cause you know, he's working with Gallagher. He's, he managed, um, uh, John Lovitz at one point. Um, you know, guys like amazing Jer- Jonathan and Carrot Top and
0: mm-hmm. others.
4: So Gary was always living on the fringe, always out there, um, Dealing with with really imaginative stuff, so he painted this picture for me. And when I got the comic, it was it it it, it the visual the visuals came came pretty quickly because that you know it was so it was so just off center that it it was like nothing anybody had ever seen before. So and and it, nobody could say that nobody could remember how to say it. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was it was not a a, a phrase that you just like so. Immediately, we got the we got the idea that there were, you know, there were obviously they were fighting, and that there there was going to be a lot of fighting, and that they were going to be teenagers, there going to be a lot of angst, and um, and but you know, Gary just infused the the surf humor into it, cowabunga's and, and all that business that that uh, was became signature for for it all because it was it was so important that that these guys came alive and.
2: So that's where it all came from.
4: Well, I can't say that for sure, but I know that Gary was Gary was wrapped in the surf culture, and when he when he graduated from, he was a a, a world champion surfer in '66, and um, and then went on and had a, a career as a promoter with a company called Phantasma, and he worked with every band you'd ever heard of um, back in the late '60s and early '70s, and so um he, he there was there was nothing new under the sun for him except the turtles and when the turtles came along he was like blown away he just said this is it guys this is our we always wanted to make a movie like bobby you know this was his first film first feature as well actually he was writing a movie for for golden harvest at the time that i met him and told him about the turtles because it was maybe a month later after we finally got the rights together i called bobby because i'd known bobby for a, a while as a as a comedian, and said, that's the sensibility we have. So, Bobby, why don't you tell the story where we met, because that was cool.
0: Uh, yeah, where well, we met, right. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I for a second. I'm sorry. Oh, uh,
5: well, there he is.
0: <laughs> well, anyway, so Kim and I... Knew each other, and uh, I'll preface everything we're saying, this whole thing is timing. Our timing couldn't have been better. Every step of the way. So I'm writing a movie for Golden Harvest. Kim knew that. He knew Golden Harvest did the Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan films. He knew they had the best martial arts guys in the world, and so he asked me to meet him for lunch. He was in Newport. I was in Long Beach, California. And not Newport, Rhode Island. This would be California, <laughs> and we met in the middle in Westminster in an In-N-Out Burger. That there should be a plaque there to this day.
2: Oh, absolutely!
0: <laughs> of an In-N-Out Burger, and he he pitched it to me, showed me some stuff. I got it right away, and I got excited. I took it to Tom Gray, who was running the uh, my boss and running Golden Harvest, and he was so not interested. <laughs> and whenever, whenever I'd bring it up, he'd say, "Herbs, finish the movie that I'm paying you to write and don't bother me with the Ninja Pinging Turtle shit. What was he paying you to write? A movie called Department Store, about a department store, a silly comedy department <laughs> store movie. And uh, no, which never got made because Ninja Turtles got made. And it, we, <laughs> we leapfrogged that. Uh, so I'll say. Uh, long story short, took I went and pitched all over Hollywood, I pitched everybody this this as a movie, and was sniggered and laughed at pretty much at every pitch meeting. Yeah, uh, some some big name producers who I won't say their names so I don't get sued. But oh, they come on. There was two <laughs> who no, there was two of who called my agent and said. <laughs> Who's the guy that came in with the turtle thing smoking pot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know about the pot, but the turtle thing is real because it was now on TV, billing an audience. Yeah. And finally, Tom Gray. I don't know. Several weeks later, we went and had a drink, and I started bringing it up again. He said, "Herbs, don't go there." And I said, "All I'm," I, it dawned on me. I said, "You have a 12 year old and a 10 year old at home." All I'm saying, when you go home, ask them about the Turtles. Because as I tell people, back then, TV, you guys were kids. You had TV. You didn't have uh, uh, Xbox and PlayStation and and an (laughs) iPad. and stuff. You were watching TV, okay? And the parents didn't know about the Turtles. It was the kid's secret, basically. (laughs) And by the time I got back to Long Beach that night, on my old record-a-call answer machine, Tom had left me a message, Herb's babes. You know, those two words means I closed the deal. Get your buddy, Kim, and meet me for breakfast in the morning. Let's talk about this. And that's where we, we got the ball rolling, slowly uphill. Because oh, still man. at the breakfast, he still wasn't buying into it. Uh, I always say it was saved by one butt cheek. He was sliding out of the booth. <laughs> and Kim said, you know, you've got the best martial arts guys, you just put them in costumes, turtle costumes, and let them do their thing and you loop the voices. And he slid back and went, hmm,
4: interesting, and then Kim can pick it up from there. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the the trick was that that um, we had, we were armed with all the tools we needed to sell the project. We had sample toys we had the press kit from from um, playmates all that business was was at our disposal so unlike a lot of properties where you're just pitching from a from a treatment we had and we had the comic book was which was in effect a storyboard um so and tom tom just he he was afraid that that uh they didn't have the resources that would get out of control that that that, you know he found a I I believe most studio executives are born to say no, you know they only really want to do the the stuff that they want to do, but plus uh, Kim, I'm sorry
0: Kim Kimmy, yeah, I'm sorry. Plus he didn't think he could sell it to Raymond Chow, who was the boss in Hong that's Kong, it. who was the Rupert Murdoch right. in Hong Kong. He thought no way was this his sensibility, nor would he get it, and he was right. It was
4: Raymond Chow's wife that got the movie made, right, Kim? Well, Raymond Chow's wife and the mayor of Singapore, actually, because they were all having dinner. Uh, this is myth. I wasn't there. But Tom tells the story that he, uh, Raymond Chow and the mayor of Singapore were having dinner, and the mayor of Singapore was going on and on about how many toys were being sold and shipped through Singapore. Um, uh, Raymond lived in Hong Kong, but the, and, and I think that... Uh, Raymond Chow's wife was exactly right that, that he, they, you know, it was the wives on the side going, Oh yeah, well remember, you know, and so pretty soon that's what, that's what, what sold him was that there was a, a huge toy market in the U S or actually all around the world that was, um, uh, that was creating a lot of commerce and, and Raymond was a bottom line guy. All he wanted to do was he, he was all about the money. And as soon as, as soon as Tom kept planting that seed, and and I think he had, he'd recounted about the toys, about his kids liking the toys. And then when, when it, it finally clicked with Raymond, oh, the toys. Yeah. So, and it was a lot of commerce that back in that time, this was, you know, by, by, um, June of 88, the, the, um, The toys had gone off. You know, they were they were introduced at Toy Fair in February of eighty-eight, and that's when that's when um, they really did take the the uh, the city, the Javits Center, by storm. Um, That was that was uh, you know they came out of the they came out of the sewers. There was a whole big ceremony that they did, and and um, Playmates did an amazing job of promoting the thing, and and, along with. um, I'm
1: sorry to interrupt, but you had all these companies essentially working for you, but they didn't really know they were working for you. You've got Playmates who's putting out toys so they can make money. You've got the TV show that's kind of working with Playmates to get the toys out. You have the comic book, which is a totally other thing that's still putting out issues during all this time. You've got these three sort of media forces pumping out propaganda for this film you're trying to get made.
4: And it's not like you're paying any of them to do it. No, no, yeah. And, and the truth is that not one single studio, like Bobby said, believed it. Um, not long after we started this whole thing, I moved to Orlando to produce the Mickey Mouse Club for Walt Disney Company for the Disney Channel. Mm-hmm. And part of my duties was to was to uh, house meetings. You know, I had the meetings with the various executives. And at that time, Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg and um, Frank Wells. Would come in uh, about once a month. They would come in and check on the status of the show. This is from May of '88 through the uh, through the that summer, right? And I had a toy poster on the behind my desk, and Katzenberg would always go, "It'll never work, Kim. It's never going to work. I don't know <laughs> even why you're b- bothering." You. But, you know that was repeated time and again. Imagine yeah. films jerry weintraub who was at the time probably one of the biggest producers in hollywood we need we
2: need to set up some interviews with some of these people that said no to this (laughs) like get them get them all on one skype call and be like explain yourselves
5: i mean as much fun as it would be to get their side of that there was
0: a couple of them at the premiere that came up to me and said uh we screwed up they didn't (laughs) use the f-ball and i said <clears throat> what do you mean? They said we screwed up. They said uh, this is a hit. You're gonna have, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a a great opening weekend. And I said from your mouth to God's ears because they kind of have their hand on the pulse of the yeah. box office. And uh, one of them said to me, "If you have an idea for a ladybug, bring it by."
3: <laughs> and you know, he just
0: anything. And years later, I ran into that person. And uh, I brought that up to him. Oh, by the way, I do have an idea for a ladybug. And he said, what the hell are you talking about? And his partner said, I think that's the last thing you said to Bobby at the <laughs> premiere 20 years ago. <laughs> so, so, yeah, you should get a hold of some of those people. It'd be interesting. But real, but but not, not to chew up yeah. too much time here. But I'll take the ball real quick.
5: It's not like we're going to run out. That's all we got. That's all we got
0: in quarantine. <laughs> so, I got you. So uh, Kim, we get Tom, uh, to, to, to go for it. Okay. Next step is he calls me and says Herb's pack, a a suitcase. We're going to Northampton mass. We've got to sell Peter and Kevin, uh, the idea that we're the company to make this into a movie. So we, we, we flew to Northampton, spent a couple of days and talked to them and got to know them a little bit. And convince them that uh, we could make this happen, and they gave us uh, the blessing to go for it. I get home, and a week later, it says, Herb's pack a trunk now because you're going back to Northampton because you have got to uh, write a treatment, a story for the movie that Peter and Kevin uh, agreed to sign off on, okay? And I thought, well, I'm there for a week. Well, I was there for longer than a week. It took a little longer than we had anticipated for them to agree to the point of me saying them one day, how did you two ever get a comic book done? Because they're just, I'm sure, have you talked You talked to Kevin? Have you talked to Peter? We haven't
1: had a chance to talk to Peter, no. He's a little hard to get a hold of. Yeah,
0: well, you won't. He doesn't have a phone in the caves. <laughs> he's a little
2: reclusive.
0: Yeah, yeah, just a little. He's buried under tons of money, though. its He's got like a snorkel sticking out.
2: Yeah, he's got a Scrooge McDuck vault somewhere.
0: <laughs> but they're so opposite from each other yet that's what that 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 works you know i mean they have great respect for each other and so freaking talented and, and with the you know i say bless him without them, look at all the people they put to work look at all the people who who they made put on the map and who went on to other uh, other things in in the business there's a lot of people who say they were producers of that first movie and that's a bunch of bs I, over the years, I've heard, do you know so-and-so? No. Well, she said she produced the first Ninja Turtle movie. Well, she's full of shit. She did not produce the first Ninja Turtle movie. It's amazing. And you know what? These people get a job based on that. Just that they, they put on their resume or they bullshit somebody in a meeting and say they produced the first movie. Yeah. This is
2: all really good advice. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it is good advice. It yeah, <laughs> just bullshits your way. What, Adam, didn't you produce anyway. the first Ninja Turtles movie, too?
2: Now that you mention that's it. That's how he got this podcast.
0: <laughs> Boy, I've started another virus. Another viral thing.
2: I mean, that, that's most impressive because, what, you were three when the movie Some, came Something out? like yeah, that. Yeah, that's,
0: was that's impressive for a three-year-old. That's amazing. It was amazing.
5: Uh, so anyway...
0: I mean, three-year-olds can say no. That's an executive's job. <laughs> so then we get... The next step, they say yes. They sign off on the story. Uh, I go to England to write the movie because that's where Steve Barron, the director, was. So, how did you and, guys get? Uh, before you get
1: there, how did you get Steve aboard? What was the decision to go with Steve?
0: Is he's someone we talked to? Kim can also. tell you that. He's great. Steve is. Uh, Steve is brilliant. The opening scene in that movie. You, you I, I've, I've said this, and Kim's had to hear it on other interviews. To me, I saw the movie about last spring. I was going to do a career day talk at, at a school, and I the movie. I hadn't seen it in a while. And there was two things I noticed. One thing was that Sam, it was one of Sam Rockwell's first movies. Mm-hmm. He's in the movie.
3: Yeah.
0: Two was but that I yet. loved the way Steve opened the picture with. You had that audience on the edge of their seat anticipating to see these characters on a movie screen, what he did with them. And he gives you the little... Katana and stuff uh, uh, b- bouncing off the wall and the police lights flickering and the manhole cover opens and you see a glimpse. I think it was Rafi and the lights bouncing on and he goes, damn. And, the cu- and then the, the manhole cover g- goes down and everybody's on the edge of their seat. And I thought, how brilliant was that? Cause the next shot is them in silhouette in, in the sewer until he brings them in the frame. And I just thought, he just held his trump card. I thought it was brilliant. He and he's great. Steve's great. Um, so anyway, I got to go over there and write the movie over there, and um, uh, Kim can tell you how uh, Steve came
4: into the scene. It was really Tom's idea. Tom Tom was looking around and um, at various directors. There were a, a variety of people under consideration, and uh, part of the part of the um, Process of finding the director was also finding the the, the shop to do the costumes. So, um, in his research, uh, he found Steve Barron had been the art director on a on a um, a movie. It wasn't Dark Crystal; it was the other one that was um, Labyrinth. Storyteller. It, he was on the storyteller, no, right? Yeah. um he, Labyrinth. Labyrinth. It was Labyrinth. Oh. And he was he was the art director, but he was also, he was also doing a bunch of, um, of, uh, music videos. He did, he did, um, Billie Jean with, with, um, Michael Jackson and so forth. So he had a really great eye and that's what, what caught, um, Tom's eye. So he, he got Steve involved because Steve was, you know, relatively new as a director. Uh, although he'd done a bunch of music videos, and this was, you know, it was a time when MTV was was um, happening. Everybody was was um, pushing music video directors as the new as the new um, thing for, for creatures, mm-hmm. right? And um, so once Steve got involved, uh, that sort of solidified the idea that we could get the Creature Shop involved. The uh, Steve had done. Had had worked with Brian and Jim, and Jim really liked Brian a lot, or br- like Steve rather a lot. But um, he was he was Jim was not a big fan of the of the violence in the movie and the comics rather. Uh, he thought that it was a little bit over the top, and it took Brian and Steve working on him to convince him that this would be a good idea for the Creature Shop because he could really he could really um, stretches his imagination with regard to how the costumes came together. And it was more about the, the personalities of the turtles and what they were going to do. And the, you know, it wasn't so much about the fighting, but, uh, that was, and Jim, Jim did come around to it. Uh, you know, he was, he was more aligned with the Muppets at that point because he was trying to make a deal with the, with Disney actually, uh, to do, to do the Muppets. And, uh, we actually, Jim and I shared an office at, at Disney uh, MGM Studios for about—I'm going to guess it was about a year before he passed away, right? He moved—he moved to Orlando, I guess, in the fall of '88. He died in March of or in May of '89. Um, so, uh, but when we, you know, so we 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 worked together on the on the picture, and uh, but it was really Steve who who made that happen. If it hadn't been for Steve. And his friendship with Brian, I don't know that Jim would have a- actually uh, been the costume maker on the picture. Wow. But it also solidified, it also solidified Brian, um, Kevin and Peter because they were really worried about how, how um, the costumes would look. And if they got portrayed in too cheaply a manner, it would, it mm-hmm. would uh, denigrate, it would hurt the property. There was always that concern.
2: And dropping a name like Henson kind of just evaporates any worry like that. (laughs) I mean, especially in that time. It's like...
0: He was a very nice, soft-spoken... I got a little bit of time. uh, He had a creature shop there. They they had one in London. So I got to see a little bit of the beginnings when they were doing the clay models. It's just so cool to see that thing evolve, you know, from from a, a storyboard drawing to a clay model and now, you know, they can do it all on the computer, but back then they weren't doing that. And it was just, it was amazing to see this thing morph into what it did. I mean, from, from, the, from the lunch with Cam with, with, with on, and it was meant to be, and, to yeah. do, and like I said yeah. earlier, 30 years later, and uh, it was, it, it's, it's just amazing to me that this has still gone on. You don't get that chance in our business very often. You have something that lives that long. Mm. maybe if you're george lucas or something but we're not <laughs> george lucas <laughs> yeah
5: so so like at no point in the in the pre-production like in, in the discussions it, there was it was always going to be people in suits and there was never any talk of doing it by animatronics or or stop motion no no it was mm. only, we
4: only had the live action rights, so we didn't we couldn't really go there mm. um you know there more um, and Wolf had done such a brilliant job with the cartoon that it really, and I think it, I think it started to balance out the look, if you will, because the the um, what More and Wolf did, you know, their cartoons I think are still the best that were ever done, um, and they, the way they designed the Turtles and Man look, um, brought them to life in a way I think that made, um, you know, sort of sort of informed how Jim went about uh, designing him, as well. So, yeah, no, there was never any talk about, about so anything other than what they ended up in.
1: I have to ask, too, just um, – you mentioned, uh, Bob, that you had to write this treatment that Kevin and Peter approved of. Can you take us through a little – do you remember what that treatment looked like? Like, what the – was it very similar to what we saw in the movie at the end, or
0: – Yeah. Absolutely. I would say, yeah, I would say 90%, uh, if not more. Yeah. The story was at that point, the treatment's about the story, is the storyline and the act breaks and stuff, you know? Right. Uh, And then you start to design, for lack of a better word, engineer uh, the process from your act breaks. And I tell people when we have these interviews that I watched. Uh, I watched Star Wars, the two, first two Star Wars movies, over and over and over, because I noticed that George Lucas, every time there was a battle to be had in those movies, they had a theme to them that he foreshadowed. In other words, there was it was set up to why there was going to be a battle ahead. No two were alike, different colors even, and that's I used that writing the script when the Ninja Turtles ever went. Went at it, you know, in defense, which we pushed in the story very much in defense, not to start shit, you know, right. just defend. <laughs> and that's what Splinter was all about. He was the voice of reason, he was the parents. So, you know, and I'll tell you what, fashioning the script, now I've said this before, doing the script was a delicate balance because you, you didn't want to dummy it down the kids. And you knew that mom and dads were going to go, so you had to find a happy middle where the parents would go. Because I think part of the success, I, I tell people, was the parents went and saw it with the kids. They came home, they told their neighbor, their sister, their friends, they take the kids. It's a really cool movie. It was fun, you know, because there was a little something for everybody in that first movie, and then the other ones. Well, and it's, which it's I think is sense it paid for it A
1: testament to the, you know, exactly that is how enduring this film is i mean it's i was talking to you on the email and i had mentioned like you know this company neca that does all these high-end action figures are still doing these incredible turtles 1990 movie figures that are are sold out everywhere like they're yeah, you they're can't get them um but they're they're incredible and there's still so much love for this film in particular And I think one of the themes that we touched on a lot in, in all the time that we talked about it is I always said, this film is way better than it had any right to be Um, because it does, it, it takes itself seriously. It doesn't pander to the audience. It doesn't, you know, speak down to the audience. It it assumes that the audience is intelligent enough to follow the story. Sometimes you get a movie that spoon feeds you every little detail um, right, and it doesn't right. let you think for yourself. This movie gives you a really good chance to think for yourself. But it also, it, it's it's visually it's great, tonally it's great. Uh, the action is excellent. The music is fantastic. Talking to John Dupre was one of the highlights of my life. Like I'm a musician, so that was like <laughs> cool. mecca to me. But That's it's just all cool. of these amazing pieces that fell into place to create such an iconic, iconic film. Um, I want to talk about a little bit. Once you got into production, what was your guys' life like once the film actually started shooting?
0: Well, mine wasn't good. I, I had a very bad back, and I got there to Wilmington for one day, and had to get on the plane and go back to Long Beach and have back surgery. So oh, no. I basically was get. Yep, yeah, I missed. A, I missed the shoot. Uh, I just, I couldn't. I just couldn't go any further. And I mean, how many pain pills can you take? How many bones can you smoke? Well, There's let's a point that's where not you test that, shall me. we? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I but Kim, Kim can tell you better there, but I missed the whole well, thing. Well, yeah. I feel so brokenhearted to work that hard and then get to there. I told Tom, I said, I got to go home. I called my doctor and said, I'm flying home tomorrow. Let's do the surgery and get out of the way. And then Tom would call me and kind of update me and once in a while call and ask him, Run something by me for a line or something here and there, but basically, I was out of the the fun part. Oh man,
4: Kim, what about yeah. you? Yeah, well, the my abiding um, memory of um, arriving in Wilmington, um, North Carolina, where the studios were, was the uh, image of King, of King Kong, because <laughs> these were the old Dino De Laurentiis studios, right? And uh, Dino De Laurentiis was a famous filmmaker uh, from the 60s, 70s, 80s, whatnot. He would raised a huge amount of money, um, like half a billion dollars, I think it was rumored to be. Wow. He built himself a gigantic house on the beach in Wilmington and all this. And then he built these studios. And one of the movies that he made there was was King Kong, was one iteration of King Kong. And, uh, when we went in, it was a, it was apparent that these, that the studios had kind of fallen on hard times that they weren't, it wasn't the, cause I was used to working in, in Hollywood, um, around at Showtime, I was on the lot at Paramount and, and um, uh, 20th Century Fox and Sony all the time. And these were, you know, working studios that were, that were, Pristine. There were lots of people buzzing around. Well, it wasn't to say that there weren't a lot of people around because the crews were all working. All the the carpenters, everybody else was from North Carolina, um, and uh, you know, because it was a non-union shoot. And but the the studios themselves were like like old and kind of dirty. And the truth was that the the sound stages had no air conditioning. Oh no. Yeah, they, uh, he had put – now, keep in mind, when you say sound stages, you think, okay, sound, they're soundproof and all that. Well, that, nothing could be further from the truth. He built this, sound, this, this studio literally under the flight path of the Wilmington Airport. So either plane uh, landing or taking off, that's all you could hear. Now, m- most of this movie was shot M.O.S., So there was, you know, with with no sound because we knew we were going to loop it. But still, you had a lot of dialogue scenes that literally you just had to stop in the middle of them in order to to play. And this was all a a testimony to to, um, what De Laurentiis had done on these stages, which is basically put the money in his pocket and not put it into the infrastructure of the stage. But, I mean, because it was brutally hot. The movie started right after the 4th of July. And it was, um, you know, it was a miracle that the movie got made anyway, because back in, the, in May of that year, and this story it has been told, but I don't know that it was really, uh, it, it, I don't think it was common knowledge to most of the crew and, and, um, and staff, because back in the early part of May, uh, the, the movie got, got canceled. And, uh, because it was a Tom Gray who used to work at 20th century Fox and was a sales guy there had gotten a call from his, from the head of 20th century Fox, whose name is Leonard Goldberg. And Leonard said, I just got fired. I'm being replaced by a guy named Barry Diller, hotels.com, among other things. And Barry said, he's not doing the turtles. So I'm sorry, Tom, we're not going to make the movie. And, this was literally, and the, the only thing that Raymond Chow said, I'll finance the picture as long as there's U.S. distribution. And when this fell out, it was like a panic. And I remember uh, getting a call from Tom Sand, we're in deep shit. And that's that's exactly what happened because everybody else had turned it down. Um you I know, was we, I was
0: in England I was in England in the middle of writing the picture and he called me and said Herbs take ten days off we got a problem and that's all I knew Wow. and
4: so it was it was dicey was and out. but the, the 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 beauty was that by this time Mark Friedman who's you know Serge licensing had done his job and he was he had hooked up a uh, lots of new licenses and with Ralston Purina, who produced the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cereal, they had a, a, a plan, because, you know, most of these... Wait, Purina, movie like promotions the dog food? To, <laughs> Ralston Purina, correct. Made of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cereal. <laughs>
2: I don't think I'd want to eat that.
4: Rice. Did. They made rice.
0: It's for like it's yeah, for
4: Christ's sake. Damn I'm pretty it. sure I did eat it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, they... they uh, this was all a result of Mark knowing the marketplace and knowing what could sell and whatnot. And as a result, he was able to bring in um, some promotional tools that were that sweetened the pie for the distributor. So Tom felt like the best place to go back to was, was um, new line because they did the Freddie movies, you know, Friday the 13th yeah. and they knew the marketplace. They knew the teenage audience we were going to go after more or less. Right. Um, so <laughs> he went back to Bob Shea, Bob Shea had the same thing with Bob that happened with Tom, Tom Gray and, and Raymond Chow. It was the toys that made the difference. Um, Tom said, go talk to your babysitter. The babysitter said, yeah, the kids are playing with the toys. And, and so he finally agreed that he would do it. It wasn't very risky for him at that point because the movie was all for all intents and purposes paid for all he had to do is put up the prints and advertising. And in the movie business, that's like, that's like banking, you know, it's like the, the, uh, doing a, a guaranteed loan hmm. because the, the prints and advertising money comes back first to the distributor and the distributor gets yeah. their fees first too. So he wasn't really taking a big risk. Uh, although later on he'll tell you that he did, but, um, <laughs> it was, you know, um, that was between, between the, the, maybe it was the second week of May and like the second week of June, we had no distributor. Everything went on hold, but all the sets had been built by that time. All the costumes had been built and it was, it was like, you know, everybody was choking at, at, for a while. Um, but then, then it, you know, uh, Bob Shea stepped in and said, yeah, okay, we'll distribute. And with that, we went forward. So, by July, it's like a hundred and maybe eight or nine degrees in Wilmington. Uh, and when it's not, when it's not hot like that and the airplanes aren't flying, there's rainstorms and thunderstorms and lightning and like that. So, you know, it's hurricane season. It's, it was, it was dicey the, all, all summer long. And I can remember it was so hot on those sound stages. It was just melting. Um, and that's literally what happened to the costumes. They, they, um, it was, um, it was everything that that Steve could do to keep the picture moving. Um, the ads were pulling their hair out. Everybody, because the the costumes were built. There were two turtles costumes. There was the the stunt turtles, and there was the talking turtles. The stunt turtles were light, easy to move around in costumes. The talking turtle costumes were seventy pounds. Were really heavy, and they hey, had Kim. You know, Kimmy.
0: Kim, Kim, Kim. Sorry. Yeah. Did, did they not? did they not try to come up with some kind
4: of air conditioning thing to put in those costumes? Do do I remember? They did. They had a whole, they had a whole, um, you know, there was, there was, um, Yeah, Yeah, no, there was a tank of water in the costumes. There was a tank of water in them that was supposed to be cooled, but it needed a pump. Just like the the servos that that drove all the the facial uh, features needed electricity right and they were all battery driven that's why the costumes weighed 70 pounds so you have a bunch of of actors actors,
1: wait a minute you have a bunch of actors in not only animatronic electronic suits but you put a tank of water inside there with them
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) like a a bladder like a a
4: bladder how did nobody get electrocuted Well, it wasn't. It was uh, all low voltage, so it wasn't like that. It was. It was low voltage. That. We we here all here that there. stuff? But they, they tested them. They tested all this stuff in England, where it's cool. Right. And what nobody anticipated that you would step on the sound stages and there'd be no AC. I mean, what, uh, there, that, I don't know that it, there'd ever been a sound stage built, in the, <laughs> in the, you know, <laughs> since 1950 that didn't have air conditioning, particularly on the East Coast. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. I mean, they were sweating. The, the moisture inside those costumes made fried everything. Every, every, you know, by noon every day, the, the the costumes quit working. And you have to wait for the servos to dry out. They had hair dry. They did everything they knew how to, to, to do it. Hey, Kim, and Steve, got, yeah. But, but uh-huh. I'm
0: sorry, John, but tell them the, 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 the couple of innovative things that the Henson's came up with, though, with us. They really came up with some stuff. This was this was cutting well, edge, you guys. No one had done this, you know. Well, the thing the thing that was cool
4: was that there were there were two puppeteers for each of the turtles, um, and the actors inside the turtle costumes and the puppeteers all rehearsed outside the costume with the with the script supervisor and the ad, and to make sure that they all had, they were all in sync. Um, and so there was the four turtles and of course splinter, they were all animatronic and the, the guys who were the puppeteers were using, um, uh, radio controlled, um, uh, boxes, you know, like with two joysticks on them. Yep. The left joystick was the left left side and the right hand operated the right side. Well, um, Henson, uh, as I recall, was a big fan of, of, uh, science fiction writer by the name of um, Robert Heinlein. Heinlein had written a book called um, Waldo Inc. And Waldo Inc. was about he had written it in the late 40s, and um, it was about a guy who was uh, who was a genius inventor, but he was obese and couldn't couldn't be on on Earth and do what he needed to do to make all these inventions. So he got shot up into space, and while he was there, he he invented. Uh, remote-controlled hands called Waldos. And that's exactly what what Henson um, mimicked. And he built these Waldos. So there was one puppeteer who used joysticks and one puppeteer who used Waldos. Are those, like, the the mitten-looking things? Yes. Okay. uh So there's an exhibit at a... But keep in mind, they're they're radio-controlled gloves, right? So they're... You know, each finger is is manipulating a different feature on the face or on the in the in inside, but all of that has to work through low voltage, you know, radio waves um, to the back of the shell, and it presented a it presented a uh, a lot of challenges over the course of it. Have you, in, in, in hey, the, have
0: you guys? Yeah, sorry, have you guys talked to Tom Gray?
1: Uh, no another person we got to put on the list but Steve was telling us uh, particularly about the puppeteering he had mentioned that a lot of times the puppets would spaz out due to the uh, air traffic control frequencies
3: right yes that's right there was all that
4: it was like it was uh, it, like Tom said Tom gray said you know it was Murphy's law at its at its finest if anything could go wrong it did right and then this is true from from the beginning to the end at the end of the day, you know, that's, um, I remember, um, um, talking to a guy named, uh, who, who made that movie ghost. Um, I'm trying to remember his name, Howard it is. Maybe. or whatever. Zucker? I'm sorry. No, Jerry it wasn't Zucker. Zucker. Not, it, it was, no, it was one of the paramount executives. And he said that that oh. was, that was the hardest movie in the world to produce because it, shit just went wrong. Uh, and yeah. there were a lot of fighting and this and that, but, he said, "You know, that, that sometimes down. that's the re- the result because we were sharing stories about about the turtles and how hard it was, but it was uh, it was uh, you know like that. If, if, if anything could go wrong, it did. It was it was definitely Murphy's Law at the most at the highest. Wow! Yeah. wow. <laughs> so
1: it's it's literally like the luckiest movie ever made. I cannot fathom. I didn't know it was almost canceled. I'd, Adam, did we ever hear that before?
2: Uh, I." Th- Think? I don't know. I don't know if we've heard it on this show or I've heard it elsewhere. The the one thing that I that I really like that, that I've heard a couple of times so far in this interview is you have all of these adults saying no. And then their <laughs> kids, our generation, us, were like, dude, this is a surefire it <laughs> Like I I, I like that there was a point in time where this was ours and no one else wanted it. Yeah. You know, like
4: Yeah, that's right. That's you know, right. And it's it, it's really, it's I really true. We we won the People's, People's Choice on, Award. It, I, I got to tell this story. We, we won the People's Choice Award in 1989 in January, and Bobby and I went up on the on the stage to, to accept the the prize. And I remember to this day, um, neither one of us thanked Tom Gray for whatever reason. We just had brain hearts. But the last thing I remember saying is that uh, uh, I love you, Gary. You're the biggest kid of all. Um, because Gary proper was the biggest kid. He was, he saw this uh, like a kid would have seen it back in the day. And, uh, from the very first moment. And I, I, I really have to give him credit for having done it because if it hadn't been for him, uh, the movie would never have been made the way it was. We, we would have made, we, we, the film would have gotten made. Somebody would have made it. Probably a studio would have come along sooner or later because the toy sales was too big to, to ignore. Um, but it wouldn't have yeah, been the same really film. it wouldn't the movie,
0: have been an indie after film the movie. After the movie the toys the ancillary exploded big time. Right. So. right. that said that that pony for sure.
1: Uh, yep. enough to get more movies made too. I mean that this this movie solidified, I think, Turtles as a a franchise, a media franchise, more than just some silly kid show. This like it almost legitimized the whole thing. Yeah. Well especially
0: because back then, the critics, as I said earlier, they didn't believe that. They thought this was a one-trick pony piece of shit, and that no one was going to go see. Uh, there wouldn't be another one. Well, and I believe who, I read the they're making they're making number seven now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's there's talk of something <laughs>
1: happening. I know. I don't know if it's going to be a movie or a Netflix series or what, but they're working on something. I think.
0: Um, yeah, you, I hope you know what I'd love for them. You know, we got a lot of we got a lot of feedback. We get more I get it all the time. Why did why did they go with that new look? Even I even asked Kevin Eastman what he thought of what Michael Bay did and Kevin was not pleased with it. And I just in in the old school folks, you guys who were kids, you love the original turtles and so do we. Well,
5: uh, you, you mentioned earlier, you mentioned earlier, like jokingly, like, uh, you know, grandparent mutant Ninja Turtles. And it's like, uh, I think we were talking about that, like in terms of possibilities for a Netflix series where it's like, take the 1990s Turtles. Like, you know, they were teenagers in 1990. And now where are they in 2020? The middle aged, you know, like yeah. the middle aged Ninja Turtles.
2: Yes. Yeah, so some of us original fans aren't too far off from being grandparents at this point. <laughs>
0: Hmm. Mel Brooks was serious, and Mel Brooks's son Max was a kid then. Was the was like ten or something? Oh yeah,
5: I think he's my age.
0: I met him at Fox. My buddy Rudy DeLuca and Barry Levinson were riding with him, and I met him at lunch. I came in with my Ninja Turtle jacket on. The movie was in the theaters, and Rudy came over and says, "Uncle Melvin wants to meet you." And I go, "Uncle Melvin and Brooks." Well, almost you know, fainted right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, that's yeah. that's
2: a it's
5: an appropriate response.
0: Having lunch is one of my biggest heroes in my life. Not only that, then over to his office for two hours. And he was just all into this whole Ninja Turtle thing, how it happened, the phenomena, and this and that. And we made a trade. He wanted the Ninja Turtle poster for his son, Max. And we, I said, I'll trade you that for two things. I want it's the line, it's good to be the king, from history of the world, to name my production company, it's good to be the king. And he had his secretary come in and take that. I still have the letter and he gives it to me, and he and I won the producers' poster. So we exchanged posters.
1: For a second, I thought you were yeah. going to say I wanted to trade him. He gets the poster, and I get his son Max. No, <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, no, I get no, I get no, no, wrong, Mrs. Robinson. Um, <laughs> Before so your time, he was married to to, to a very oh, iconic yeah. woman. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And when I first met her, I was at lunch with them, and I, I on purpose dropped my napkin on the floor and went down to pick it up. And she looked at me, she said, "Bobby," and gave me this great look. She says, "I'm really not Mrs. Robinson." <laughs> so I
1: said, "Okay." <laughs> Worth a shot. Um, so
0: <laughs> the
1: production is clearly oh,
0: you're right. Grandfather Turtles.
1: Yeah, I say go yeah. for it. Um, but So the production it. of the film is is clearly fraught with challenges. It doesn't go easy, but it gets done. I know at some point uh, y- there's a, a, a composer. They wanted someone to do the score. And it didn't work out. They brought in Duprez. I know that uh, the voice actors weren't brought in until a little later on in the, the process. Um, when is the right. first time you saw the film done?
0: I saw it at Golden. I saw a rough cut. And this is a true story. Yeah, I saw I, a I rough it. rough cut. But I'm in this little room, this little screening room at, at Goldman. Were you there, Kim, at the Goldman? Anyway, no, I, I saw it. Well, I room.
4: was there, but it Anyway, it's
0: like five or six rows of seats, right? It's a little teeny thing. And here it comes, and got some time codes here and there. You know, it's not polished yet, but it's a rough cut. And just as a movie's starting, this mook, this gigantic human being, comes and sits in front of me with this kid. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at Tom, I said, look at this asshole. I mean, <laughs> he comes in late, and he plops down in front of me. You know who it was? John Candy. No. no way. So when the lights came up, I started to lean over and say something. Well, and I said, oh, hi. Hi, John. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was John Candy bringing us here <laughs> to see this. And when I first saw it, I loved everything about it. I cannot tell you guys, and Kim will back me on this. It's like I can't even explain it. To put something on that I wrote for TV for a long time, I learned how to write with the Jeffersons and different Stokes and those shows. But to do your first movie and from a meeting at In and Out Burger to where we got to what we went through to go in that room and see it on the screen, it's like the first time I saw myself as an actor on a movie screen. You almost yeah. Just faint. You just don't believe it's real, and I had tears in my eyes. I looked at Tom. I said, "We really fucking did it, you know." And he said, "What do you think?" I said, "I said I like everything about it, but I, you're not going to keep that pizza thing in with the cheesy little puppets, are you?" Oh no! No, listen, listen. And so Tom goes, "No, no, we're going to change that. That's that's just a rough cut." <laughs> well, the movie. Then I go to the premiere and I see it and I. Afterwards go to my sister. You left that cheesy scene in. You couldn't have spent money and gum a little better than that. Oh, <laughs> but <I laughs> love that scene. No but not I love only, that scene now.
1: Not God. only is that scene in there, but so <laughs> Dupre just released the entire score of the first film, like last winter or something, and there's an extended okay. audio version of all that music with even more of the stupid baby turtle dialogue in it. It's great.
3: Oh no. really? Yeah. Oh wow.
1: Where do you get I, that? Where do you uh, get Uh It's if you go to Waxworks Records, I think you can get it on their website.
5: Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm willing. I'm willing to bet that uh, in the test screenings, kids, because I, I know when I saw that movie, that pizza, pizza. We just started repeating that, and so of course they left it in. I mean, <laughs> no, right? No, I well, love it now. That's,
0: that's I look at it. all these years and I said, you know what? Uh, the, sure you leave it in it's, it's just memorable it's so cheesy it's great
5: i mean that that's how you get dominoes and pizza hut to to back your movie
0: then they said their first okay. word
1: pizza! chris i have to ask about that don't let me forget to ask about dominoes we have to talk about
4: that
5: oh yeah
1: um, but yeah. first kim what about when you first saw the film done and it's completed well
4: state. I, I saw i saw it in, in in very rough cut uh early on when it was way too long but the first, time, the first time I saw it with an audience was in Las Vegas. Uh, Gary was, was um, I, think, I think Gallagher was playing at the Sands, and they had a screening. This is in the early part of uh, December in 88. Uh, is that right? No, in, in 89, uh, rather. Yeah. Film's
5: finished.
4: Mm. Oh, yeah. um, it's a
5: real preview. It's
4: still... It's, St- it's it's the first preview where they're going to test it with a lot with a real audience and i remember because all the people from new line were there well uh, sarah rischer and mitch mitch goldman who were the two people who were truly responsible for its for its um marketing and we watched the movie it was mostly kids in the theater it was um it was like st- stunning how much reaction there was, how positive it was, you know, in those screenings where you have to, the people who were conducting the screen had to quiet everybody down, they hand out the the cards and the (laughs) pencils, and everybody has to write down what they said, and because all the kids were there, they also had to have parents, so it was a pretty good uh, sample, sampling of what the the real audience might be, and it came back with like these rave reviews 96, 97, which is, uh, you know, over the moon. And I remember Mitch Goldman getting the results of this screening going, holy shit. And he goes over and and (laughs) literally doubles the order of prints that night.
2: Uh, (laughs) Oh, that's awesome.
4: Because the the lab was in, I think it was the deluxe lab in London that was making the prints. And um, yeah, and the, from that point forward, it was, uh, it was just a steamroller, but still Tom was, you know, Tom is, is a, film executive, he still had doubts about whether or not it was gonna perform at the box office, even though um we all had a sense that it was because the, the kids were loving it. Um, you know, the week before the movie came out um was uh Pretty Woman hit the hit the screen. And it was the other movie that was that was called a piece of shit by all the by by Leonard Malton and everybody else in the in the, <laughs> the critics world. Uh, and of course it went on and had, we, they had 16 weeks or 17 weeks. We had 16 weeks in the box office. And by the third week after it had been released, we were trading barbs with, um, with Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was still running Disney at the time. He was making jokes about the turtle movie. If you can't get in to see, uh, if you can't get in to see turtles, come over and see pretty woman. And we were doing the same thing, making, making jokes about the. About Pretty Woman well, because it, we were it, by that time everybody was like holy shit we, you know what happened we I think uh Bobby you you had an interview with Bob Shea right after the the Monday after the movie right open?
0: no we did we did a didn't Bob you? and I was on the show and he didn't get too many words in my one of my the guy who was at the wedding was the one interviewing us for the Today and when we when they put us down to go on camera. I had the variety in my hands, and I opened the centerfold. full. It had the box office numbers on it. And I go, how'd we do? You know? And cowabunga, dude, that's what I said. Cowabunga, dude. And Shay just, Shay's kind of a quiet man anyway, so he didn't get much in. But the, the, the point is, is that Tom Gray, the week before he and I had gone to lunch, was really sweating bullets because his ass was on the line with Raymond on this movie and he thought he just had this feeling he had Howard the duck on his hands and I said, "Um, you've got an audience." Howard the duck didn't Howard the duck fell out of the sky for Christ's sake. It bounced <laughs> and went away. And point. and it, it so he called me from New York. He went to New York because that was where it was going to open first. And he called me, he says, "Herb's the line is a block long and around the corner, and then he started getting. And he says, "I think you're." I told him it was going to do 20 million or better. And he said, "From your mouth to God's ears," he said, "If that meet, if that's 20 million, I'll give you anything you want." Right then, the Peter Mercedes pulled up next to it, and I said, "I want one of those." <laughs> and he said, "You got a deal." <laughs> no, I never got the car. Oh, never got a dinner. Never got, but that was, anyway, but the point is, he just to the last minute, Kimball's back, you know, sweating bullets that this movie was going to not be a hit, and I just had nothing, instincts, intuition, and passion, and I tell people when I go talk to young kids, you guys are talking about earlier, you know, just, I never accepted no, I believed in it from the minute uh, Kim brought it to me, and I believed my intuition, and I wasn't going to give up. And thank God somebody else might have made it, but like someone said to us, it would have been a different movie if, if it wasn't this group that made it, which I think yeah. is a big compliment. Yeah. And so, yeah. like I said, That's, everybody you know, that. that Oops, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I'm just saying. It's just, it's, I keep saying it, but it's it's been a blessing. I mean, my God, it's just unreal. Yeah. And I we, mean, all. The, the, there's people in my life that, that Justin Turner, I'm, I'm the Dodgers player. I'm a Dodger guy. Absolutely thinks I'm Elvis. These ball players think I'm Elvis because I wrote that first movie. You, you they're I mean, now. Look who
1: you're talking to.
2: Yeah. You are Elvis, Bob.
0: It's pretty cool because you go, they go, dude, do you know how that movie changed my life? And I said, no. They said, no. And then Maben, this guy Maben that plays now for Detroit, when he was with the Padres, he came up and got down on one knee and said, Sir, can I shake your hand? Well, I'm blushing. And I'm going, please, please get up. Please. And he Whatever. said, I want you to know. I, he said, I started playing baseball because I saw that movie and Casey Jones had a bat in his hand. Oh, back? Bu- I went home and bought a bat, baseball bat. Wow. Hopefully not to bludgeon somebody with. But to play yeah. baseball with. <laughs> he's a major leaguer. He has been for 10 years. Um, and and as the
1: story yeah. goes, yeah. this was the Correct. it ended up being the highest grossing independent film of all time for almost twenty years, I think, until something finally knocked it out of first place. Yeah, so, to say yeah, it was the, time, the. Go ahead.
4: The Blair Witch hey, Project it was, knocked it out of first place. That's,
2: oh, that's rough, oh. man.
5: Mostly because that one cost like ten thousand dollars to make.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I gotta give you. A, I get a quick sidebar. Someone interviewed us the other day, and it cracked me up because um, of the Freddy Krueger movies that Newline did. Yeah. So he says he's a kid, and he goes in to see Ninja Turtles, and he sees the New Line logo come up and the, and yeah. the thing, you know. And he said he started to run out of theater. Started out. <laughs> he had this imprint of Freddy Krueger, and he said I almost left the theater. Oh, every time I see the yeah. new line logo, it freaks me
2: out, he said. Well, oh, we, we were talking about that early on when we started covering this. We we actually talked about the new line logo and we all went around and were like, Oh, that, that logo immediately is the turtles for me, except me. I was like, That's kind of the Freddy logo. <laughs> like I I still get it's like it's such a weird thing to come into a kid's movie with Yeah.
0: It's a shared building. That's right. It's okay. <laughs>
1: so we're getting kind of close to the end of our our time here but i do have to ask a couple things number one uh i guess kim you might be the better one to answer this how did domino's pizza get involved in in this film i know pizza hut was kind of the home video uh support but domino's is all over the actual the movie itself
4: yeah, annoyed. and not a not a penny of uh, of um, money was exchanged hands. Tom what? Tom felt like he didn't want. Yeah, no, there was no. It wasn't. It was product placement in the, in the minimum, right? They they provided the pizzas and the guys, how, but there wasn't any. How many money noids did we count the, on
2: that set? At least nine.
1: I think there were at least maybe five or six rubber uh, Domino's noid action figures in the Ninja Turtles layer on film.
4: <laughs> <laughs> we got yeah, like, no it was, it was like that but um but it was there was you know i i don't know what it was tom just felt like he didn't he didn't want to be beholden in the event that the, that it changed at the end of the day and that may have been a thing with mark Friedman. i i honestly can't remember exactly um but i do know that there was there was no money exchanged and, wow. and at the end of the day tom tom looks back and goes well that may have been a mistake.
5: They, yeah domino's Domino's made so much money off of, I mean, like, all pizza places, all of them. Pizza as a food.
0: If I yeah. may say, I'm just trying to go back in my mind. I, it, I mean, that was in the script, okay? Uh, I don't think it was something that was just, they went back and designed that to make it. <laughs> I think it had to do with their all... promise
4: to deliver in 30 minutes, right, Bobby? That's right. It was part, that's
0: right. It was part of the script. <laughs>
5: you know. <laughs> That problematic
0: Uh, promise. You you mentioned Domino. We're trying to get a hold of Domino's now because we want to see if they all might want to Ah. marry us with with, uh, our documentary. I think that would be Uh, a wise idea.
2: Yeah, I just I just feel like anytime someone of our generation combines dough, sauce and cheese together, you guys should get like 10 cents.
1: Yeah, I think single-handedly the Ninja Turtles have b- pretty much ensured that the pizza industry will never need a bailout. Yeah,
2: that's what I always <laughs> yeah. said. I think the Ninja that's, Turtles are why our generation loves pizza. So yeah, much. I can't remember yeah. which came first: my love for the turtles or my love for pizza.
5: Right? You know, you gotta. I, I mean, we have absolutely no idea what a pre-Ninja Turtles pizza culture was like. When you guys, <laughs> when you guys were kids, did you ever eat pizza? What did you know about pizza? Was pizza a thing? <laughs>
0: No, <laughs> uh, it's not like it became. No. We're going no, we to take pizza all the credit for, for me until Absolutely, I got college. we started the pizza industry. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I have to ask, too,
1: about... on on Again, I don't know if you guys have the answer to this, but it's one I never quite got the answer to, uh, asking other people. Who on the set was the giant Sex Pistols fan? Because there is all kinds of Sex Pistol stuff scattered in the scenery of this movie on Danny's t-shirts everywhere.
4: It, it's it's oh. got to be barren. It's got to be barren. Um, yeah, I, I think, you it's know, either, Steve that, Eastman and Laird, Eastman. All right. Yeah, well, Kevin, is, yeah. yeah. That I think it's probably more likely the, the art director, uh, whose name is me right now, but, he was, he, he was hands like, Steve brought a few key people with him. He brought the camera operator, the lighting director. Um, and I, his, the art director was his guy, pre- production designer. And my guess is that's, that's usually, it, it's usually the art director or production designer who tells the set dressers what to put in the uh-huh. in the, in the picture. Was that, was so, that
0: Graham Cottle? Was that Graham Cottle?
4: No, no. Graham was the uh, line producer. Okay. He was the uh, he was? I feel like no, what we he, should do he,
1: he is go through the credits and ask what all these jobs mean because we had a lot of <laughs>
5: questions. About. Um, what does a best boy do? And
1: then, Bob, I also have
4: to ask. Well, there's, is, there's different kinds of best boys. Yes. There's best boy electric, there's best boy grip. Are they best, really the you know? best?
5: Who's got the key grip? Well, no. I
0: know. I always love the key grip. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Bob I gotta ask this question too This is the only version of Ninja Turtles You know there's been cartoon reboots And movie reboots And different comic books This is the only time that the character of Danny Ever shows up <laughs> <laughs> So and I think this movie actually made It's
5: Dan now
1: <laughs> made me appreciate that character a lot more. I used to hate Danny as a character, and watching it a minute at a time, I kind of get him now. But was that was that your doing? Was Danny your invention? Was that something that you created for this film?
0: Oh, I don't know if I, I think that might have been a character that was in the graphic comic book.
1: Now, I, I can tell you, it's not.
0: <laughs> it's not.
1: No, I think you can take credit for it then.
0: Well, I will.
2: <laughs> well, it's settled. <laughs>
1: Wow, even the guy that wrote the movie forgot about
5: Danny. <laughs> it's Dan now. It's uh,
0: oh, he is me. I love it. You keep saying it. He's
5: Dan now. I know. Anytime somebody says Danny, I feel compelled to say, it's Dan now. Da- Danny, are you okay? It's Dan now, and I am Okay.
0: Yeah, I'm sitting here. I'm blushing. i embarrassed. I don't. I guess I came up with Danny. I, <laughs> I don't. It's just maybe such a- maybe in the treat. I'm just saying maybe in the treatment we're
4: and We might have come up with him. Uh, okay. It should- well, you know, you, you, I mean, you, you you basically. I know that you wrote the 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 scenes with the teenagers who were stealing shit in New York City. So you know uh, <laughs> that he got named Danny was. I think the the tie No, but Dan, you know like what? Cameron. No, no,
0: no, no. Now I'm going back in my head, and I, I'm going to dig through my stuff. No, because I'm starting to remember how that came about, <laughs> and that was the... That, no, seriously. That was a father-son relationship that, that was not going well, and he felt the bad, bad side for a while. He never was bad. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he just was kicking his toe in the water. The bad guy in the movie was Sam Rockwell. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. he, he was the leader of the kids. You know, you remember that? Yeah. yeah. Regular
5: or menthol.
0: You know? Academy yeah. Award right. winner
1: Sam Rockwell.
0: Supposedly Anything be, you want to do, right. do it. He, he's supposedly <laughs> going to do, if everything stays on course, the San Diego Comic Con with us in in
4: uh, July. Oh
0: nice. yeah. That would be amazing.
4: That's magical. Yeah, I ran into and Sam. And- I ran into Sam last summer up in, up in Atlanta. Um, what, um, Bobby, Bobby knows, um, uh, he belongs to a club with Clint Eastwood and I've been working with Clint Eastwood's producer for almost 20 years, a guy named Tim Moore. And then when they were in Atlanta last summer, making that Richard Jewell picture, Mm -hmm. I went up and visited with Sam because we, we thought we might try to do this thing. So, uh, we reminisced about, about that because, that's where he met Leif Tilden, who was who played Donatello,
3: yep. and
4: um, and also Josh Pais uh, were, was on that, and they all became great friends in that picture, and later roommates, and all wow. that are still close friends. So, um, yeah,
1: if Sam's if Sam's available. Who do you keep in contact with from the film? Like, who are you still close with people from that movie? I, I'm clearly, each other, but
0: <laughs> no, I hate all of them except so, Sam. Um, yeah. <laughs>
4: No, I no. think that, Steve you Barron, know, Bobby, well, with Steve Barron. yeah, we have, we have with Steve over the years just because we have, we, we continue to do business together. So that's, that's all good. Um, and Kim but, and I um, we
0: lost Gary proper a year ago. Yeah. Uh, we lost, uh, the GP and, uh, Tom Gray for some time in and out of our lives. I'm still, i still, still want my car, you know? <laughs> yeah. So one of these years, one of these sometimes, years, Bobby. Sometimes I get pissy about it, and then sometimes I let it go. And then right now I'm being it might not be in pissy if I want my car.
4: So, <laughs> um, yeah. And, and but that, anyway, I, I've always wanted to work with Elias again, though. I must say, oh you know, God. at the time, Elias was the he was stud, right? And um, I've always wanted to work with him again, and I, I, I hope I will. Um, and and uh, Judith, I was in awe of Judith because she was so beautiful, uh, and uh, you and Chris, and both. still is. Well, I, yeah, I'll tell you what.
0: She, she, well, she, um, one of my favorite she, lines. One of my favorite lines is when she, they bring her down the sewer, and she's lying on the floor unconscious. And they look at Splinter and say, "Can we keep her?" <laughs> In my mind, that, led, that led to all kinds of, of connotations. Can we keep her? So, um, anyway. And then- so that
1: that brings us to like today, and I know the the reason that we found you guys is you're starting to put together this the book and the documentary. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about what your uh, you said Comic Con? What is what is the thirtieth anniversary of Turtles look like for you guys? How are we celebrating? What are we putting out into the world that is new? Well, uh,
4: we're going uh, to the Secrets the document. Half Shell is the name of the book. Yeah, uh, Secrets of the Half got- Shell, which is. We've revealed some of those secrets tonight, but we'll tell more. Um, <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, yeah, and want I think to really, take the book away. No, you yeah, got to save some. No, but I think a lot of it has to do with with um, you know. Hold on to the, some like, of those names. A lot of people, a lot of people, <laughs> people uh, want to know the business of the of the movie, and we'll talk about the business of the movie in the book. We'll talk about. About, um, you know, a lot of that, a lot of those, um, you know, Murphy's law moments when shit, you know, it could have just gone south. Um, And and there's, you know, I think over the years um, there was a time when when before before the movie got made. um, uh, Renee and Mark Friedman lived out on Long Island and and Gary was touring with Gallagher. This had to be, it had to be the uh, maybe the winter of, 80, of 88, before the movie got made, and we had signed our deal, everybody was happy, and Kevin and Peter came down from Massachusetts for this Gallagher concert, and Gallagher at the time was, he, he was always very dismissive of the comic. He never, he, he thought Gary was crazy, and that I was crazy, and we were spending our money and wasting our time, and this and that, but... Every night while he was on tour he would talk about uh Gary in his warm up. He would talk about how crazy Gary was and he was doing this thing with the ninjas and and turtles and whatever, right? Always making fun of him. But this this particular night we asked him to be nice and to because we had these people in the crowd. So, um uh Mark and Renee were there and, and uh Kevin and Peter and uh He said nice things about the movie and about Gary or about, you know, their idea. They're going to put this movie together and it should be cool. Be sure to go and watch it. And then Gallagher just can't contain himself. So after the show, we're in the green room and we think it's going to be cool because he hasn't been smoking too much pot. He hasn't been drinking, (laughs) you know, and uh, all of a sudden he starts going off on what a stupid idea this is and how (laughs) (laughs) how this turtle is and how this uh, movie is never going to, you know, well, you know, listen, I'm pulling on these guys to try and get them out of the room, and, uh, uh, and Gary's doing the same. And we, we really thought the movie was going to be over at that point, that, that oh, these guys God. would pull out of the deal and, and it, well it, all that. It, if it, may, if gonna I may. was going to
5: kill the turtles?
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you I may, though, with very, yeah.
0: at the very, very beginning, very beginning, when Kim first brought it to me, and, the, and when i was going around pitching it, we went to Gallagher's house and it was Gary and Tim and I and Gallagher because Gallagher wanted to write the movie with me. Oh, oh boy. Right? <laughs> you, am I right, Kim? Yep. Yeah. He wanted to write the movie with me and he was, we were just doing great, bouncing ideas around and going in the backyard And he came out about 50 minutes later and he smoked a bone and this other human being came out of his, this biggest asshole I've ever been around in my life. I looked at Kim because I'm a chicken. I'm known as the hawk. I told Kim, I says, I'm out of this deal. I'm not going to do it. I I, I, I guess if he's going to write, he's going to write, but I'm not, there's no way this guy and I can work. And I left. Kim will back me on it. Yeah, I wasn't yep. going to write the movie <laughs> out of Gallagher was going to do it. I wasn't going to do it. That wasn't going to happen because I had the company that was going to make the movie. So I had prompt card.
3: That's
4: so. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, but it's, it's I mean, like not that, at that you know, point, that
4: it, but at every turn there was there was a bump in the road. No sure. kidding. Yeah. 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 Wow. I mean,
5: yeah, that, that had to be yeah, such interesting went,
4: He went crazy.
0: Yeah, he went nuts.
5: That would be such an interesting thing to try and pitch at the time. Like, 1988, like, comic book movies, like, back then. Like, so, so the Superman movie, like, the first one and the second one were great. But by then, the Superman movies had all fizzled out. The Batman movie hadn't come back. As far as everybody was concerned about Batman, it was, like, the 60s slapstick show. You know, Marvel had never made anything more successful than a TV movie. Uh, so, like, comic books, like, working with comic books, like, you know, what... Did you guys look at any other comic books like in the '80s that was just like ah well, we you know this is fun but this isn't gonna work like because because with the turtles it seems like you had that huge advantage of of so many things working together the toys the cartoon
0: yeah it's what I said at the top of this conversation was timing our timing was that's life it's timing everything the timing couldn't have been it's like catching the right wave the timing was perfect yeah. and the and and the cherry or the cherry on the Sunday on this deal was. When were they gonna open this movie? Christmas, <laughs> summer, and there was a lot of conversation. Kim will tell you. And at one uh, lunch I said to Tom Gray, why don't you open it during spring break? No one opens a movie at spring break. And they kinda thought that was a stupid idea, but they opened it at spring break. It seemed to it it work out. Sense. <laughs> Kids were home. Yep. So it was all yep. timing. Everything, I swear to God, everything was in its right in its place at its time. Just like the coronavirus. Yes there's gonna be hey there's gonna be more babies born in january oh yeah and they're, they're more, all gonna be gonna be an all, all-time all historical divorce filing by january
2: the, the, all the kids born in january are going to be first children no,
0: yes because no one with
2: yep. kids right now wants another no one. kidding i
5: have a four-year-old
2: and a one-year-old oh <laughs>
1: Now, I heard Chris, that was a really good Shredder <laughs> impression you just did. No. They're
0: babies. It's I got a 21 year old and a one year old. What the? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. All right,
1: I'll 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 wrap it up here, guys. It's been amazing to talk to you. But I think Adam has one more question. It's it's a kind of a weird one. Yeah, this is uh, kind of
2: controversy.
1: <laughs> this is more for Kim.
2: Um. So when we talked to Michelle and Sisty he he mentioned kind of in passing that there may have been a head stolen during the second film
4: oh that a may what? be i you know a he- one of the heads yeah oh. um i i th- I, think, I think i think he's right i think that you know listen what what Henson had done was was so brilliant and there were a lot of i could send you I i don't know if i have permission to send that picture but there were dozens <laughs> of heads Send it anyway. We won't share it, we promise. Hey.
0: <laughs> I think we got the next movie. We got the next film. The grandfather coon is looking for Raphael's head. <laughs> I think this is a great idea. Um I said looking for I didn't say looking for head, I said looking oh for gosh. his head.
2: <laughs> God, yeah. I want to hang out with Was you guys cool more out. often.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey now. Um all right, well, Listen, Kim and and Bob, it's been it's been so much fun. It's been amazing. If you ever need four crazy thirty-somethings to help out on the road promoting a documentary or going to Comic Con or any of that stuff, you have our love. number. <laughs> We'd be or happy even
2: just even just uh, hosting a panel or two. We're here. Oh,
1: staying right. Stay in touch. Staying in touch. It's been amazing to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time out of your uh, Quarantine Tuesday to talk to us. No, it's and, It's, uh, to me. it's a pleasure.
0: That's the second most fun Kim and I have ever had. Was this pizza right now? <laughs> the first uh, was malaria. Oh, but now oh. they found something for it. <laughs> so you guys are great. We can't thank you enough, really, for, for yeah.
4: wanting to put us on your show and let us share our stories with you. Anytime. You, it's, it's, you guys have a great vibe, I, I must say. You know, um, uh, Rachel I wish you I wish you had more more screen time for sound time.
2: <laughs> this always
1: happens. Yeah. Sure. She kind of gets bullied Boy, by like us a little bit. And we always feel really bad about it and then apologize at the end and she's like it's okay.
5: It's fine. <laughs> you guys didn't do anything this time. <laughs> no, God. Fine. Let her speak. Let me
1: see. <laughs> you asked all the questions that I had in my mind and I'm like I I don't really have anything to add. At this point, the only thing I wanted to to say earlier was I had a a visual of someone who wanted to go see Pretty Woman, but accidentally bought tickets to the Turtles movie. It's like (laughs) they're sitting in the theater like, I thought Julia Roberts was in this
3: movie.
1: There's a
0: different redhead. (laughs) Hey, Rachel, Rachel, who was your favorite turtle? Donatello. Taking a survey. Donatello.
1: wait a minute, wait a minute. that's our she? hang on she? time out I, adam you're supposed to remind me of this crap last question final question i need your favorite turtles guys
0: <laughs> mine that- are all of them are you kidding we're we're we're, we're sucking canal water without all of them
1: <laughs> all right i suppose that's fair kim well yeah but mike
0: is I'm by always- the way michelangelo is me <laughs>
4: okay yeah dude same it, but <laughs> uh Mikey Mikey uh had to be my favorite because of because he was uh Gary and Bobby incarnate if you if you did a mashup of Gary and Bobby who were both ADhD yeah. to the max right it would be it and would our, be Mikey. And, also are yeah okay yeah but that they they it, it sort of uh invokes the memory uh, All right. of uh, and of that and
1: final question. Favorite okay. pizza toppings, Thanks, Kim, go.
4: Well, I, I'm I'm always a pepperoni and sausage kind of guy, but with extra cheese has to be. All right, right. And I have I have to go shrooms. <laughs> I'm
1: I'm, I, I'm not surprised.
2: <laughs> Do you like penicillin on These your pizza? These mushrooms are really dry. All
0: right. <laughs> only, what, only when only when it's set out for a week. <laughs> yeah. All right, Bobby like Herbeck,
1: Bo- yeah. <laughs> Bob Herbeck, Kim Dawson. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us on Teenage uh-huh. Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute. Um, we're gonna get back in touch. Thank we're gonna, gonna do this again when
2: the documentary comes out. All right.
3: Yeah.
0: Thank all you. All right. Cowboy cool. Dude and do that. Rachel, you guys rock it.
2: I just want to say thanks for sticking with it, guys. Um, I know you guys knew you had a hit on your hands. I know our generation knew you had a hit on your hands. Thanks for sticking with it and actually making this possible and giving us something to talk about 30 years later.
0: No, hey, but can Here I you tell go. you something? You, without you guys, we got nothing. Always remember that. You don't go see yeah. this, we got nothing. We're <laughs> pounding sand.
1: Well, okay? <laughs> thank, yeah. you. thank you. And you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wash your hands right. and
0: your punum. All right.
1: <laughs> Goodbye, guys.
3: <laughs> <laughs> bye, bye. See ya. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye.